Welcome to Building Tomorrow, a show where we envision what the future could look like if we protect the freedom to innovate. The world is getting older. Our median age has been steadily rising for generations. Not only does that mean that we'll face a serious depopulation crisis by the middle of the 21st century, but the fact that we have fewer kids means that the population in developed countries will skew ever more older. In Japan, the median age has climbed from 29 in 1970 to 48 today and will rise to 55 by 2050. That means in Japan there will be as many people aged 56 and up as there are ages 1 through 55. That's incredible. And we're not as far behind as you might think here in the U.S., with the median age of 38 projected to climb higher, albeit a bit slower. Now, an older population will mean new challenges for elder care. The cost of nursing homes is already skyrocketing under pressure from the leading edge of retiring baby boomers and tight labor markets. There are already too many stories of senior citizens slipping through the cracks of the healthcare system because their families, well, they, they can't visit the nursing home every day. So these early health warning signs are simply missed. As the number of children per family falls even further, the odds that seniors will outlive their one or two children, uh, it'll grow. Uh, perhaps as many as a quarter of senior citizens will outlive their single child, along with the growing number of those who never had any children at all be particularly vulnerable to this problem. But there is hope that we can mitigate some of these problems in the future. If Japan and Korea are a picture of what our gray-haired future population looks like, they're also a place where we can catch a glimpse of the future of elder care technology. One of the most promising technologies in the field is passive health monitoring. Now, these are systems that constantly track a patient's health rather than relying on you know periodic visits to the doctor at best to catch health problems. I have two interviews that I conducted at TechCrunch Disrupt this year with startups from Japan and South Korea that use basic home appliances in new ways, including a television that tracks your eye movements and can accurately predict early onset dementia and Alzheimer's. I'm sitting here with Leland Cresswell, the VP, uh, AVP from WeCare. Um, oh, VP. Uh, the, the VP, yeah. the VP, only one, only one. So extra special here. Uh, so Leland, what does we care? What, what's its vision? What's its promise? Um, so we care. The promise is that we're able to detect dementia in seniors at extremely early stages when we can actually do th- something about it. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, with my with my grandfather, uh, he passed away from Alzheimer's, and one of the main reasons why was because our family didn't want to accept that he had it. Mm. And so by the time he actually entered the healthcare system, mm-hmm. he was already at like, you know, stage 50 where you, you can't really do anything anymore anyways, right? Yeah. But if we can catch Alzheimer's and dementia very early, then we're able to go to the exercises and go to the medications and all of the support that can allow these sorts of, um, you know, patients to actually live very healthy uh, and productive lives much, Mm. much longer Mm. than if you don't catch it early. There's a huge, huge difference. So that is our mission. That's our big focus. What's the the tech? Like, obviously, I can see a brochure here, but our listeners can't. What's the technology you're using to detect? Yeah, so um, it's it's really interesting. But um, a lot of the the signs that we we can use for this detection is based on the way that someone's eyes are moving, mm. and specifically their their gaze. Interesting. Yes. So we use um, our deep learning AI 
along with a, um, a stream of video that we take from, from their home usually through um, you know, like a video camera, right? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. 4K resolution, something like that. Hopefully, it gives us the best accuracy. Sure. Um, but we watch the way that their head moves, and we watch the way that their eyes move, and that gives us enough data to actually begin to predict if they have some form of dementia or even vertigo as well. So, um, you know, the main thing with this actually, the, and the really interesting thing, is that um, when you're moving your head and when you're looking at something, there's two different types of, of tracking that your eyes do, okay? The first okay. one is, is called uh, just a target tracking, uh -huh. and that's when you have a moving object, okay? So, you know, think about like hunter-gatherers, right? They're out there and they're tracking the deer or whatever, you know, jumping around. Your eyes move very smoothly following mm -hmm. the target, the second form of, of eye movement is called saccades, and that's basically going from one object to another very, very rapidly. So, you know, you, you're walking down the street and you see a you know, pretty lady, boom, you're, you're snapping over there, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a quick, <laughs> quick movement of your eyes, right? Yeah. And so with the target tracking, ideally what, what you want to see is just a smooth tracking where mm -hmm. the eyes are following the line in a very optimal way. But what we see with vertigo and what we see with dementia and Alzheimer's is that the eye will kind of come off of the track that it should be following. It will kind of, you know, bob up and down a little bit, you know, and there's actually there's a lot of research about this, about mm. the specific movement patterns that you can use uh, to, to determine what exactly is going wrong with this person. Mm. And then in the second, uh, you know, uh, form of eye movement, the, the saccades. Yeah. Oh, it's always so, so hard to pronounce that. Um, but in saccades, you want to look at erratic motion. So normally with saccades, your eye jumps directly from one object to another. And so on a graph, you'd see that as like a, like a spike in movement and then just flat. Uh -huh. But what you see with someone who has dementia, early signs of dementia or vertigo, is that you see the spike, but the spike might be way off target. So like they're looking way to the left of the target that they want to look at and then they mm -hmm. look back mm -hmm. or you might see a very erratic movement, which would be, you know, they move to the target and then their eyes kind of like spasming around the target for a microsecond or two. Yeah. And then it comes back. Yeah. Now, is this something that uh, I, the way it's framed in some of your literature is that, you know, the uh, our senior citizen is watching television. There's a camera watching their eyes as they watch television and you're able to predict based on the eye movements. Um is there would there be benefit in having like a preset program like so there's a program where you know exactly what's going on on the screen that should be attracting their attention and thus so that's kind of provides a baseline here's what a healthy person looks like when they watch this program here's what someone who has early dementia or, or, or vertigo is seeing and, and how their eyes track. Is that part of your plans in the long run? Or? Oh, yes, exactly. Okay. You know, it's good that you brought that up. So, um, there is a, a test that we currently use with the TV monitor or with the, the computer screen mm -hmm. uh, where we basically we push the test to the screen mm -hmm. and then it will have basically just a very simple red dot mm -hmm. that the, the, the senior needs to, to either follow yeah. and that's to get the, the, the tracking motion or they'll have different dots popping up at different locations to get the saccades, right? Okay. So that's what we are currently doing. In the future, though, exactly as you said, um, for different movies and for different television programs and etc., we have already actually found in our research that there is a very, very, very um, 
standard average of, of eye movement across mm. that media. And this is what's used, of course, for uh, like advertising online, right? Uh, advertiser will look at uh, eye hotspots, you know, where people normally look right, on right. the websites, right? So this sort of technology exists already, and this is also what we want to apply to TV programs and movie programs. Mm. It's not as specific as the red dot test, sure. but it does allow us to actually um, use the programs that are currently being run on that senior's you know, television or whatever mm -hmm. and to, to highly correlate it with their eye movements. It will take us uh, much more data doing it in that way compared to the, the, the dot sure. uh, test, but with a few hours of data and following a program that we have already analyzed, it should be possible. So that's in progress right now, but it's really good that you brought that up. But it's, it has the advantage also of being less um, not invasive, intrusive, right? less intrusive. Yes, yeah, very don't have passive. To, yes. They can just do what they're already doing. Exactly. Passive, passive is the main goal of our entire system because we know that seniors don't want to be pulling out their smartphone for applications and stuff. A lot of seniors are capable of using apps fine, but some of them, or many of them, I mean, my grandma has no idea how to use it right. and she doesn't have any interest right 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 yeah and you ask them to download and see a specific program they're not interested in yeah you know, i want to watch my i don't know you know um ncis yeah, exactly yeah, exactly right, right? yes <laughs> yeah. um for sure so wh what's the use case for this like is, is this a matter of you imagine someday contracting with like nursing homes to provide this service on a contractual basis for all of their residents or um, individual families, who's going to be using this software? Yeah, so there's two main use cases that we're currently trialing out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because of course we're we're still in the stage where we're trying to figure out where exactly our market is, right? Yeah. Um, the first big one is direct subscriptions to the subscribers, mm. uh, or sorry, to the seniors themselves. In many cases, it would actually be. Um, with their family or their guardians, the right? power of attorney. You know, yeah, or, yeah. The, the people mm -hmm. who are actually, you know. Um, but the idea there is that they pay us a subscription, and then we say, we will now provide you with uh, protection and early, uh, you know, warning about, um, you know, dementia. And we're also looking at packaging our, our dementia protection or, or our screening together with other systems that are already being used. Mm -hmm. For example, um, you know, like an alarm bell or alarm button. You ah, know, they have mm -hmm, uh, something mm -hmm. around their neck. They press the button. They get an emergency vehicle right away. Um, yeah. You know, in the Canadian market, which is I'm more familiar with the Canadian market compared to the American market. But uh, people are paying from 60 to $100 a month just for a button that if they press it, they'll get an emergency vehicle right away. Right. Um, so we're, we're looking at packaging that sort of functionality yeah. with our dementia to get into the market. Yeah. Uh, and then the second main uh, market that we're looking at is directly with the governments themselves. Mm. Um, we have an official relationship with the Songnam Municipal Government over in Korea. Okay. Um, so they are actually supporting us and paying for us to do our initial beta testing. Mm. But in the future, we want to go up to governments and say, hey, if you deploy these devices to all of your seniors, we can confidently say that we will reduce the likelihood of dementia uh, or we will... Right. Um, you know, we will prolong the healthy period of these people who are suffering dementia and keep them out of the healthcare system mm. for, you know, on average 30% longer or 50% longer. And then government says to us, great, that saves us a lot of money. We'll pay you on the back end to, to handle all of our, our, our seniors, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the two main markets that we're looking at. Um, what, what's the time frame? I know you're still pretty early stage here. Uh, 
you said you have this agreement with a with the municipal government yes, in Korea. Yes. Are you actually trialing the product in people's homes yes. at the moment? Exactly. That's okay. exactly what we're doing right now. There's a lot of interviews going on with the seniors as they use the devices, mm-hmm. uh, as they use uh, you know the the video to see if it's intrusive in their lives at all, and uh, to to show the data to the doctors, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we're also still trying to get the accuracy to be as high as possible with no false positives because that's very important. Though. In our case, the false positive is not as big of a deal as it would be in a medical uh, situation like in a clinic because false positive, you go to your doctor, oh, no, you're okay. You know, that's fine. It's, you know, it's like, you know, an hour or two out of your day, but that's okay. Right, right. right. Um, But yeah, for our our timeline, um, we are doing the the trialing right now in Korea actively. Uh, We hope to start a trial in Canada uh, next year, quarter two, 2020. Yep. And then also we're going to Singapore to start a trial in 2020, uh, quarter two as well. Um, we're looking at America uh, as being another place. Maybe we can start a trial, but we don't have a lot of traction here. So we're, n- we're not really sure if we can actually do sure. something at, on that you know, early of a time scale, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. You do it where you have the relationships and you can always, you know, yeah, exactly. Later. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for a startup like us, it's very important for us to, to try to use our resources efficiently, right? And yeah. uh, just, you know, trying to, you know, throw money out there and, and get, you know, trials going in, in a bunch of markets, it's it's hard, right? So South Korea um, and other parts of East Asia have a particularly large uh, senescence problem. I mean, they ate a growing elderly population as a ratio of the national oh, population. Oh, for sure. Yes. Um, that's going to be in the future for many more countries over the next half century. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Can you talk some about like what role did that play and why you guys are situated in South Korea? Well, um, you know, South Korea is following Japan. It's uh, becoming a super aged uh, mm-hmm. society, right? And so it, it just, uh, our CEO had a lot of um, expertise and experience mm-hmm. in the healthcare. Uh, industry specifically around using IoT devices mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the lives of seniors, and so he just saw that uh, yeah, I mean the senior market is going to be huge, and it it's not something that you need uh, any sort of calculation to understand. Right, it's, right. it's like there's this many people at this age right now, yeah. and so from our initial research that we did like you know two years ago, is that not a lot of companies were really moving on this potential mm-hmm. right we didn't we didn't see anything coming to market we didn't see any market leaders really popping up and we spoke to the doctors and the senior centers and everyone who's, who's there and we saw a very slow uptake of, mm. of technology you know so yeah this looks like something that we could disrupt especially with a highly passive system yeah and uh, that's why we decided to, to get into it and of course i live in korea and the ceo is korean so it just made sense for us to start in korea and it's kind of it's I think more than planning, it's kind of happenstance that we are a Korean startup and that we start in that, that market. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Canada and America are the same, right? Because baby boomers are coming in, you know, they're, they're, they're entering their silver years uh, yeah. already or they're, they're coming into them and uh, they're going to want to avoid dementia because I know that from uh, back in Korea, I have, so I have a Korean wife, right? And, and um, her, so my mother-in-law, Korean mother-in-law, the only thing that she's worried about is dementia mm. and Alzheimer's. Like she's not worried about you know uh, you know losing her ability to walk or this stuff. She's worried about forgetting about her family because like yeah. you know and especially as you get older, I think kind of us, us young folks maybe we're too focused on work or other things. You know, uh, it might not occur to us, but especially for for older people, family and connections and 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 the ability to to interact with your family is is so important. And yeah. if you lose your memory 
that's it. Like it, it, it's like it's like dying, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah anyone who's yeah. had a um, has had a family, close family member, a grandparent, or a, a parent who has gone through dementia, Alzheimer's, yeah. one of these disorders, and seen. I mean, it leaves a devastating personal trail through a family. It's just it's very hard. You know what what price are you willing to put on giving some com- peace of mind? That hey, here's an extra tool that will help me detect this kind of disorder early, so that maybe this time it won't be quite so horrible. I mean, yep. that's 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 a that's a pretty good sales pitch. Yeah, <laughs> right? I mean, if if I could say to someone, you know, you you put this video camera in your house, you pay us a little bit of money each month, and uh, we're confident that we can catch any sort of uh, problems with, with with potential Alzheimer's dementia early, and we can help you to basically reverse that or or to just like you know keep it at a level where you're okay if i can say that to them i mean it makes me happy it makes them happy it's just a win-win-win right yeah and that's where you want to be as a startup you want to be where deploying your product will make you money but it's also going to provide real immediate value to the the people that you're you're working with right we we have this funny juxtaposition in um tech culture at the moment where or people's relationship to tech which on the one hand, people love adopting Internet of Things, smart devices in their home. We like talking to Siri on our smartphones, having Alexa, having our you know Amazon's smart speakers or Google smart speakers in our houses. On the flip side, people are very concerned about um, surveillance, intrusion, the fact that people might be listening to them. So it, it's, it's funny. There's a bit of a cognitive distance. We both want these things. We're also worried about people mm-hmm. listening in on us. Yes. What's your, as a technology that's predicated on watching people, what's your response to folks who are concerned about that kind of surveillance? Well, first off, I completely understand where those people are coming from. Yeah. You know, I don't want someone to be, you know, peeping on, on me uh, when I'm just doing stuff at home. Right. Yeah. So I, I totally understand where they're coming from. And, uh, you know, uh, from our side, we are doing everything we can to make sure that the video itself never leaves the device. Like it, mm. it doesn't hit the Internet. It doesn't go to our cloud servers where it can be, you know, hacked. Right. Anyone who says that their cloud system is 100 percent hack free and they're just like they're totally bullshitting. Yeah, right, you, right? Like, yeah. I mean, we've seen we've seen breaches of Social Security numbers and all this other very, very private data from yeah. millions of people from the largest companies. We've seen we see it all the time. So anyone who says that data that is out there in a cloud server or whatever is, is secure is just bullshitting you because it's yeah. not. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're going from from the from the get go. We're just saying, OK, the data is never going to actually leave that device. Mm. The only thing that's going to come out of it are the outcomes. Like the actual metadata that we're using to say that this person, you know, probably has, uh, you know, dementia or probably has vertigo, this sort of thing. Yeah. And then we and then as soon as that data has been used uh, by the doctor or by the family or whatnot, then we just get rid of it if it's not needed. Right. Mm, mm. That metadata. So, I mean, it's not it's not going to be personally identifiable. And, you know, this is something every time I meet with um, one of our beta testers uh, or a potential beta tester, you know, back in Korea, I say to them, the first thing I say I know that having a camera, you know, that just just here in your house, I know the feeling could be that you're under surveillance, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if there was any other way we could do this more effectively, we would. But the video data is required and we we keep it on the device there and it never goes out of there. And that's really all we can do, right? I mean, right. you know, surveillance, you should be worried about surveillance, right? There's a lot of crazy stuff going on, but it's going to be required for 
Yeah. You know, things like this, right? Like, we can't see your eyes. How, how do we know that you've got, you know, problems, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there, at the end of the day, too, if you go to your doctor and have them do a check for early signs of dementia or, or vertigo, well, they're also generating medical data, personal data, identifiable data that yeah. gets put somewhere that can be hacked, which has been hacked yeah. previously. Like, all of these things generate data. Yeah, that yeah. data is much more personal. Like, the data that, that the doctor would create when he's doing these tests for you and yeah. then attaching to your file is much, much more identifiable than the data that we're getting. Yeah. Because the data we're getting, we're only pulling out the metadata. Mm. And then later on, it's attached to your, your patient you know, portfolio or whatever. And at that point, it's the doctor's concern. It's the hospital's concern to protect it, right? right. So yeah. you know, from our perspective, like as a company, we just make sure that the, the personally identifiable data never actually gets out there, mm. right? And if someone... And, you know, the doctor or your family or whatever, someone else wants to take that data and, and you know, attach it to something, then that's not us, right? That's that's yeah. the, the, the doctor or the, the family or whatever. What's the reaction been like from medical professionals, from doctors to, you know, you have someone who's you know part of your trial system in South Korea. They've got a warning sign for early stage dementia. You then tell them to go to your doctor what how what's doctor's response been to that situation yeah yeah so so from the doctors especially the research doctors they're they're always cool as cucumbers they come in we say oh this is what we want to do let's work together you know and they're like okay all right these are the tests we're doing already okay yeah you know like like working with them i never i never got like the the feeling of hype that i i get from from the uh, you know the tech guys that we work with yeah you know because yeah. when i go to a tech guy or like a developer and say hey we want to change the world by preventing dementia or you know helping to prevent it right, right they're like right. yes this is a good mission right <laughs> the doctors are just like yeah okay cool okay all right yeah 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 so but but the reaction is generally positive okay the like this exact technology is not in distribution it's like not being commercially deployed anywhere uh in korea and, and at least to my knowledge like in the world right now on on a scale so you know most doctors don't really you know, know about it before we come to them, right? Because it's not it's not deployed. What they have, they have these devices like these like little headsets that are basically basically they're stripped down VR, you know, headsets basically. Okay. That are just designed to track eyes very accurately, and uh, these companies that are selling this device like five six k for the device, okay, for the device that costs like a hundred bucks to put together, and some <laughs> software that is just like like. So, so simple. Yeah. You know, literally, they're just the, the software. The only thing it does is just pulling the, the data into a graph. And mm. the graph is being used by a doctor. And that is it. Mm. We're talking about 5, 6K for, for this, this like little software device package, right? It's just mind blowing, okay? Mm. But, you know, <laughs> so, so we say to them, we want to use just video. They say, oh, that's interesting because they don't know that it can be done with, with, with AI in, in, some, in some cases. Right. The guys, the doctors who are keeping up on, on AI and are actually using it in their profession, they say, yes, yeah, okay, this is doable. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. And uh, let, let, you know, let's try getting it out there. The doctors we talk to who aren't aware of, of the state of, of AI are kind of skeptical. They're like, hmm, can you, do you have enough resolution? You know, and yeah, yeah. Uh, what about their head? Their head's moving around, but, but, but we need to strap something, them, you know, we need to strap their head in, right? right you know, right, right. where's the straps, <laughs> right? Where's the, where's the headgear and all this stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, interesting. Now, but you haven't had any pushback from doctors. So the ones who aren't particularly familiar with the technology, um, have you had push, they, they see it as like competition for what they're doing in the office? I mean, nope. are there any concerns that Not competition. if you're doing it, no. people won't come to see us or anything like that? 
if you spoke to the guys who are selling those headset devices, yeah, lots of pushback. They'll they'll <laughs> they'll sure. say, "Wow, no, no, wow, you need you need this sort of accuracy and all blah, blah. Uh, But no, from the doctors, they don't care. Yeah, right. Yeah. If it helps their patient and if it gets them data that they can act on, they're happy. Yeah, and especially the doctors that are directly working with the families, mm. you know, like local doctors, right? Like yep. just local family doctors, they're happy to look at at the the new stuff we're doing. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, now, there's always been, a, at least in the U.S., I don't know if it's how similar it is in Canadian or South Korean markets, there's um, among medical device startups, there's always concern about, well, even using that framing, medical device. Because once you're a medical device, then you have to get FDA approval, which exactly. is a very long, yes. expensive process. So I don't know if that's also true in Canada. South Korea can inform us about that. But then in the U.S., like, do you... Do you class this as a medical device or is this something more like a wearable, like a Fitbit? Like, how do you think of this product in, in the U.S. context? Yeah, absolutely not. Absolutely not uh, categorized as a medical device. Yeah. We knew from the get-go and especially, like I said, my CEO, uh, he has so much experience in, in the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And Korea actually has tighter regulations. I mean, they're, they're based off the FDA, mm-hmm. but I mean, they're really tight. They're mm-hmm. really tight for getting new devices into the market. So we knew from the get-go that we didn't want to be classified as an actual clinical device. Sure. Um, so instead, we just say, hey, we have really great accuracy. And like I said, false positive, no problem. You know, you waste a little bit of your time. But as long as we keep, you know, you, you come in like one day false positive, another day false positive. Okay, no, that, that's not good, right? But right, right. I mean, having one in a thousand people get a false positive every once in a while is no problem for us, right? And um, But yeah, we don't want to get into the whole FDA thing uh, because there's no real need for it. Yeah. You know, preventative, um, it's not medicine, but preventative health care. We call it healthy care. Okay, healthy care. Mm-hmm. It means keeping people healthy, right, before they get sick. Right. It's all about just watching and processing and analyzing to the best of our ability as accurately as possible. And then the healthcare system can take over. Mm-hmm. And so we really are, and I think that this is just something that hasn't really been available in the past. You know, this sort of like healthcare has always really required like very strong doctor, you know, doctor leading. You know what I mean? Right, right. But with our system, because it can be done by yourself or even just as passive, right? We don't need to be in the healthcare system. We can just be there, you know, in your home, protecting you, trying to protect you from dementia by detecting it early and by predicting it early. Mm. So um, in terms of accuracy, is it? Like, how comparable is it to the you know, the device you just described that doctors use with the you know the five thousand dollar whatever? Is it comparable in accuracy to detecting signs of early dementia? Or I suppose, are you willing to put up with a, a slightly less accuracy on the healthy care side because, like you said, the false positive is not a, a, you know is not as big of a deal as a false negative. So compare your device in terms of its efficacy to mm-hmm. the devices that doctors currently use to diagnose dementia. Yeah. Sure. So like I said, we're not getting into the, the healthcare side right. of things. It's, it's an opposite side of a divide yes. that you're not. But exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the devices. Is it like medical grade, even if it's not medical care. Well, I mean, our opinion is that it's like worldwide cutting edge technology. That's where we're at in terms of how if effective it is and, and the level that our researchers are working at. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the quality is equal to or greater than any sort of healthcare device you see. Yeah. But. The devices that are used in the cl- in the clinic and in the hospital to say with a hundred percent certainty you have this level of dementia or you have this sort of vertigo, yeah, 
that is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So if you look at our accuracy, it is highly accurate, but it is not accurate enough to say based only on that, that you absolutely have this sort of vertigo or you absolutely have this amount or this level of dementia and Alzheimer's. Sure. Instead, we are accurate enough to very confidently say you very, 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 very likely have dementia and you really need to get your ass down to the doctor's <laughs> clinic where yeah. you can put yourself through one of these like twenty, thirty thousand dollar devices that actually give you the the like hundred percent yes you do have it. Right, right. Right? Because it's the same thing with like MRI. You can't go in for an MRI like if you have a cold or something. You know what I mean? Like you don't yeah, yeah. it's like, oh you know, I feel oh my, my finger's a little bit sore. I'm gonna go down to the MRI and scan it, right? You know? Yeah. It's like an entire different level. It's steps, right? Right. So we want to be the, the ultra high quality step that you can just use passively in your home without like buying a $30,000 piece of equipment and hiring a doctor to sit there and wait for you to feel, you know, a sore thumb or something. Right. Right? Well, it's like, you know, folks who have, uh, uh, they test their blood sugar. Well, yeah. there's much more, you know, closer to 100% yes, accuracy yes, yes. insulin tests yes, exactly. with, with highly expensive medical devices in the hospital. And that's good. That's where they should be. But you also want to be able to test frequently with a device that ordinary people can afford yes, exactly. in the home. And we exactly. already kind of recognize that distinction yeah. there. Same thing should be true Absolutely. with, with uh, dementia. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time, Leland. This is, it was really enlightening, and I really appreciate you uh, talking to us. This is why I love covering emerging technology. From this tech to last week's episode about using smartphones to stop cholera epidemics, it's a field full of brilliant people working incredibly hard to make the world an incrementally better place. Our next short interview replaces a television with a mirror, a digital concierge powered by AI with answer seniors' questions about the weather, the news, and so on while they do their you know, skincare routine or put on their clothes. But it would also take pictures of their faces, checking for sudden changes in skin coloration, which medical researchers have found can be used to check blood pressure non-invasively, potentially providing early warning about high blood pressure or even serious heart events. I'm here with Keith Shellen, uh, who is the Director for International Business Development for Hanamura. Uh, Keith, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. So, can you describe in just a few minutes what it is that Hanamura is trying to do with this uh, mirror concierge system? Mirror concierge is a face and voice interface. Uh, it was it has multiple uses uses, um, and what we've been highlighting today is mirror concierge as a uh, health provider. Um, in Japan, the uh, population is increasing. Uh, not uh, that's not true. The population is decreasing, and the elderly are increasing uh, the number of people. And so, Prime Minister Abe has an initiative called uh, Society 5.0, and basically, he's trying to take AI, uh, IoT, uh, big data and things like that using drones and trying to figure out how to use these to help the aged population. And one of the things that they show on their promotion video is a doctor in a mirror. And they show this uh, older woman that's, uh, you know, sh showed the granddaughter out the door. Uh, in Japan, lots of uh, age of families live together, uh, the grandparents with the parents and with the gra children, grandchildren. 
And uh, so grandmother lets the uh, granddaughter out the door, and then she goes to the computer, and she sits down, and she talks to a doctor on the computer. Uh, but the doctor is actually an animated character that she's seeing on the computer. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're taking uh, an avatar and a voice, and there, there are lots of different faces, lots of different voices we can give it. But what it's really doing, it's keeping the privacy of the uh, doctor that they're working with so that, uh, I mean, literally, the person could be at home in their pajamas probably, you know, and it wouldn't really matter. What really matters is him seeing the patient and seeing their face color. And with the camera, they're actually able to open their, their mouth and see down their throat a little bit. Yeah. And then this particular uh, device, which was... Uh, made by a company or a university, medical university in Japan, uh, is able to check your heart rate, uh, your pulse, uh, your uh, blood pressure, and stress level. All just it. from video it can check? Just from the video, yes, just okay. from the camera. And it's a, a new technology that they developed, and, and you can see here it is looking at different colors in the face and how the colors change. It's able to understand what their their blood pressure is and what their their heart rate is. Hmm. So now, do they take a? Um, I've done the demonstration here where you stand, it scans you for like, or it watches you for ten seconds. Ten seconds. Um, and then it, is it? It kind of watches from a baseline how you're over time, how your your skin. My understanding and, from yeah. the technology, from the explanation I received, it's basically taking quick photos of mm. your face and that yeah. the colors in your face are changing mm. uh, very quickly. Yeah. And that change of the coloring in your face is, gives them the ability to be able to, to understand your blood uh, pressure. And, and, and now th this is being made in partnership, you said, with... Uh, a with a medical university? It's Was a medical the, university okay. in Japan. Okay. And basically, they came to Hanamura, and they asked us, okay, we have this technology. How can we use it in yeah. real life? You know, yeah. And that's how we came about being involved in this. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, is you're, a, you're, a, you're a child. You have an elderly parent um, who, in the U.S. context, it's much less likely that you know elderly parents live with their children anymore. So... You know, you've got a ch uh, you've got a parent who's maybe in a assisted living facility, but you want to be able to to have some sense of like, okay, how are they doing? How, what's a baseline rate for their you know, um, not medical information per se, I suppose, but pre medical information. You want to keep kind of tabs, make sure they're okay. How do you go about marketing this system to them potentially? Well, ideally. Uh the marketing would be in several areas. Uh, actually, one person came by earlier today, and they were talking about the insurance industry uh, and that uh, this could actually be a, a very large cost-cutting uh, application for the insurance industries instead of them having to actually going and see a doctor right. you know, on a weekly basis depending on their condition. you know, They could just go in front of the mirror and do it, and yeah. the data would be sent into the doctor. And so the insurance company would cut, cut their costs because of that. Sure. Um, it, it could have many implications. Um, you have the potential advantage, too, I imagine, for, I mean, right now there's a, you know, a recommended schedule for the elderly to go see or have in larger um, care facilities for having a nurse come and check vital information every so often, every week, every month. 
But in theory, with this technology, you can do that or at least get some of that information constantly, every day. So you're able to detect things quicker and having to wait for the week to notice, oh, you know, for last week, your blood pressure has been spiking. We can address that more rapidly in theory. So I imagine it could be good for care as well, better care and cost savings mm. on both ends. Right? Yeah. As you can see here, they, they actually call it the daily checkup. Oh, okay. And, and basically, as you go in the morning after your bath or shower and you're brushing your hair, she's getting her face scanned. And she's also standing on top of a scale here, which is fed into the database. And all of that data is stored. It can be stored locally on an app mm-hmm. uh, that you can have that they have developed now for the phone and for an iPad. Mm. Or it could be stored in the cloud. Or it could actually be set up where it would be sent to her doctor or her, his or her doctor. Yeah. What's the current... Um uh, prototype rollout plan like in Japan? I mean, are, are there some facilities that are trialing it right now? Is it you're still hoping to get it into homes or into facilities? I would say right now, this particular use of a doctor concierge is uh, being used in the model homes. They call model homes in Japan. Okay. Uh, each of the major companies, they, they have these areas where they're prototypes of the like home of the future yeah, kind yeah. of thing okay and uh, a lot of companies have come to hanamura asking to have these put into oh, their bathrooms and okay yes let's see well uh keith thank you so much for your time i uh wish you all the best and uh our listeners i think have really enjoyed hearing about the product so thank you For me, the most exciting thing about this tech is that for every application I can imagine, there are dozens I can't even begin to think of. Imagine the future in which your smart clothing and accessories, which power themselves from the friction generated by the fibers rubbing against each other while you walk, is able to track your temperature, eye movement, blood pressure, and really just get a constant real-time picture of your health. An AI then monitors changes in your health baseline for concerning signs and kicks those to your physician for consultation. We could stop or mitigate so many heart attacks, strokes, catch cancer earlier, prevent repetitive use injuries for athletes and workers, and and so much more. But, and this is a million dollar coordinating conjunction, even as we develop that technology, and what I just laid out should be possible in our lifetimes, there's a huge barrier that prevents that from happening. The Food and Drug Administration. The FDA has incredibly onerous regulations on medical devices that stymie innovation and ultimately cause unnecessary suffering and even deaths on a massive scale. It delays innovation, everything from breast pumps to insulin pumps. The future I just laid out could never happen because the FDA has erected a high wall between the rapidly innovating world of wearables and other consumer devices like I just described in this episode, you know, smartwatches, Fitbits, and the like. A high wall between those wearables and consumer applications and medical devices. Every startup I spoke to avoids coming even close to the medical device field like a plague just because of the regulatory morass and the powerful incumbent interests involved. And as a result, there's very little interaction between all your wearables, the data they generate, and the healthcare system. It means that the data can't make its way through this non-porous, artificially erected barrier. Life-saving and life-improving innovations are being delayed or limited for woefully inadequate reasons. Go back and listen to episode 32 if you want to know more about how that world works, or doesn't, as the case may be. But know that we can do better, that there are promising innovators working on technologies that will improve your and my health prospects in the future, if only we let them. As always, but especially today, 
Until next week, be well. Thanks for listening. Building Tomorrow is produced by Tess Terrible. If you enjoy Building Tomorrow, please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about libertarianism, find us on the web at www.libertarianism.org.